Welcome to another episode of the Bible Guys. My name is Rick Kleiner. I'm joined here with Jerry. Jerry, we always ask, how are you doing today? Super, Rick. <laughs> awesome. We have a good conversation before we ever hit record. Yeah, I can't believe you said some of that stuff. Ah, don't blame me. Um, anyway, we we should we could probably put out our own little what's what are those things you have to pay? I don't even know what the name of that stuff is. A uh, premium podcast you pay to get that kind of banter. Oh well, yeah, yeah that, that might be good. That would be the retirement podcast. Yeah, that's we mean that's it for us because of what you said. Yeah, <laughs> stop it. Anyway, let's get started. We have a, a listener support, uh, not listener supported, listener submitted question, um, and this comes from John chapter fifteen. So, Jerry, what's our question today? Yeah, uh, the question basically has to do with verse six, and we'll probably deal with the first six verses of chapter fifteen. But but the question deals with um, in verse six when Jesus talks about the branches that are cast forth and. Um, they're cast into the fire and burned. So the question is, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, and what does that mean for the believer? Is this even talking to believers? So it's basically centers around verse six, which is, as you know, is a much discussed verse. Yeah. And we want to read the whole context here. And I think uh, as we were talking here before that we started, um, you and I may actually differ here. Oh, neat. Okay. We, we don't do that. I, I always like to not talk about what we're going to talk about. Okay. So that if we differ, it's all caught on audio and it's out there in the interwebs for people to enjoy. Um, but let's see how let's see what happens today. Good. After you after you read the text, yeah. I'll just list the views. Okay. And see if we hit hit yours. Sounds good. So let me start um, verse one. Uh, I'm around the ESV, so please forgive me because I know you you love um, the King James. Uh, I'm the true. I vine. do. I love it. I was quoting it this morning. I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch. In me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, I want to stop there for a minute. Okay. Because different translations say different things there. Some say he removes. Oh, for Iroh there. Right, right. Yes. Um, I hold to a, I well, hold a you're, different. You're you, going out of order here. Why? Remember, you're supposed to read the passage. Oh, okay. Well, the fit, I don't think verse 3 and verse 6 go together, honestly. But I'll, I'll, Well, you know, that's a lot of the problem. People are interpreting verse 6 in light of some of those preceding. Okay. Whatever you want. You're in charge. How am I in charge? Oh, here we go. People, people listen for you. Here we go. Let me just keep reading. I'll stop. All right. He goes every verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he is it that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown to the fire, and burned. Hmm. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the views here. Yeah, let me just, just hit the views here and um, see if you fall into any of these and you want to add one. I'm going to use labels so I know that can sometimes be a bit inaccurate, but... Right. For the sake of ease, I'm going to use labels. And um, so the first for you, we'll just call the Calvinist view. And normally those who would take this position argue that the branches that are thrown into the fire and burn, they would represent a professing believer who has shown by a non-consistent life they really weren't saved in the first place, and they are destined for eternal punishment. And then you have the Arminian view, which again, Arminius 
I don't think held this view, but it goes under that label, would be the loss of salvation. This is a person who was saved, but they they lost their salvation by ceasing to bear fruit, etc. And then you have the, I'll call it the free grace view, which would say that what is in view is Christian discipline. So this is a reference to believers, but the casting away, the throwing into fire, that would be a reference to the discipline that God would bring on the believer who is not bearing fruit. Now, I don't hold any of those positions. Yeah. Should I just name my view? And I'll just say it. I won't well, explain it. Well, before you do that, so, the people, want to go so the people don't think I'm just copying everything you say, let me go to okay. verse, where it says in verse 2, okay. where it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Um, there's a, lots of interpretations there. Right. Lots of different meanings for that word, like you mentioned Iroh. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, I kind of, my in, my understanding of that word use in this passage comes from, you know, your study of ancient Middle Eastern agriculture. Yes. Where when you look at, well, what could that mean? Well, a lot of times the branches, the vines would grow on the ground, um, you know, unless they had this support system. Sometimes, it, like I said, they would grow on the ground. And one of the things you find out is vine dressers would, when they find branches on the ground, they'll, they'll, put, they'll put it up, they'll lift it, put it up on a rock, some kind of stone to allow that bud to grow, to allow the grapes to grow or figs to grow. It gives it room to grow. So it's the idea of, I will lift up, put you, they, they translate I row to, he lifts up. Uh-huh. And puts it so that is putting on a rock where you can bear fruit. So when you look at that passage, the way I interpret it, and again I could be wrong, verse two: Every branch that enemy that does not bear fruit, he, you could say, he sets up where you can bear fruit. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it can bear more fruit. So mm-hmm. the focus of what Jesus is is his branches bearing fruit, and he will do what it takes to bear fruit through them. Now, how does the the ESV you read translate that? I was zoned out he, while you were. He takes he takes away. Okay, and that's what the King James says. So right. you would suggest he lifts up. He lifts up. Oh, okay. And and I use that to say in the same sense as I mean you can apply this to many different situations, but the goal for, of the goal is fruit. Uh-huh. And you're not doing it. Christ is doing it through you. He's going to put you somewhere where you can bear fruit. And and that's that's how I would how I understand that passage, how I've taught that passage. So please tell me if I've done wrong and I need to go <laughs> recant. <laughs> Repent of this yes. error. Well, actually, I was going to list as a fourth view, okay, and I don't know what to call it, but I was just going to call it the viticulture Let's hear view, it. which is the the raising of grapes, mm-hmm. and and I agree with you. I think that is what is in view here, mm-hmm. and when we look at the, well, maybe I'll hit that later, but what's important, and and this is why I said sometimes I think people err by interpreting verse six in light of verse two, and um. That is, Jesus is looking at the two times of the growing season. Yeah. So verse 2 would be a reference to the spring when the vines are growing. And as you pointed out, uh, the the vine dresser, which is much more than a farmer, of course. Right. The King James has husbandmen. Not sure what. <laughs> not sure what that means. I like vine dresser. <laughs> yes, we'll go with vine dresser here. But um, so when he talks about, yeah, uses Iro, I agree with you. It's lifting up yeah. so that it can get more air, it can get more light. Um, and then he talks about the ones bearing fruit. He purges or prunes. Mm-hmm. So I take that as a reference to he's removing any 
unwanted sprigs or parasites or moss or anything like that mm -hmm. so that the branch-bearing fruit can be bear even more. Why, it's why in verse 3 he goes, already you are clean. Yes. Yeah, so He's saying that. He's using that context. Exactly. So I think at that point, then he's telling the disciples, based on the teaching of the Upper Room Discourse, you know, you've got chapter 13 and the Discourse in 14, 15, 16, based on the teaching Christ has given them and, and um, the truth he has given them, they are now in a position to bear fruit just as those vines in verse 2. So, I, man, I think you're exactly on—I agree with you. And you said something there that I want our listeners to make sure they heard, that this is in light of and after the Upper Room Discourse, which is yeah. vital to keep in mind Yes, because a lot of times we will remove—we do it all the time. Yes. We will remove this passage from its context— We've talked about the agriculture, right. the cultural context, but also the literary context in yes. which John has it appear. Yes. And when we do that, we we can then eisegete, add what we think. Yes. And we we you know whether we take that like you said, Calvinist view or Armenian view, we take that we add those views in there and say that's what this is meaning. But really, we when we keep it in, if we can keep it in its literary context, it may change everything. You know, when I was driving over here, I was thinking that very thing. In the Gospels, particularly Matthew and John, you're going to have a large number of Jesus' discourses. And discourses have to be interpreted as a unit. Mm -hmm. And when we come to this upper room discourse, people need to keep in mind when Jesus begins this, Judas has already left. Yep. So you're left with 11 believing apostles. And the issue here is not who's saved, who isn't saved, who's going to prove they're saved or professing to be saved. This is not about salvation. This is not about being justified. This is about believers being in a growing relationship with Christ. That's the point of the discourse. And I would add something else I thought of as you were, you were talking. We tend to, and, and this is actually increasing as far as trending today, this tendency to interpret the Bible theologically. And I think that's a big mistake in fact, the way I mention the views, I think it's a mistake. We we lay out these theological options, and then, okay, which one is on this text? But, but as you're doing, we interpret the Bible, and I'm going to use the word literally, and when I say literally, that means we're using, looking at the literary context, we're looking at the historical, cultural context, context and the viticulture will come in view here. We're looking at how the original audience would have understood. That's what literal means. We're looking at words and phrases. And um, so we shouldn't interpret with theological categories, but rather what is going on in the discourse and what emerges um, as the readers would have understood it. So, man, I, I agree with you totally there. So I guess we would take view four as we work through this. Right. So let's explain a little bit more about view four in light of verse six. Because as we look at it, when it says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. What's going on there? What is Jesus trying to com communicate to his disciples? Well, I think there are two things. Number one, I think we should hone in on the in me phrase. Um, the in me phrase in the Gospel of John uh, occurs 16 times. Normally, some would argue always, but normally 
it has a reference to a relational aspect with Christ. So it's possible, therefore, for a true believer not to be in me. That is, a true Christian may or may not abide in Christ. That is, be obedient to him. So I think that that's a key point. And that, that's why he gives them the command, abide in me. There's the op- possibility they won't. And this will become even stronger throughout the discourse. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is, whereas verse 2 is talking about the spring growing season, the verse 6 is talking about the fall. And in the fall, um, once the growing season is over, the grapevines are useless. Yeah. In fact, even the vines that had produced fruit would now be burned. So I think the point is in verse 6, again, it's not a believer-unbeliever category. It's just if you're not abiding in me, if you're not obeying my teachings, if you're not drawing strength from me, then you are as useless as those branches in the fall pruning that are then burned. It has nothing to do with going to hell or anything else. It's a uselessness of a Christian's life. And I'm glad you mentioned it that way because that's something that gets a lot, it gets omitted a lot. Um, Paul talks about this with Titus. He says, hey, you need to encourage the people of Crete so that they will be useful and no longer useless. You see that interchange and interplay in those words in, in the teachings of Paul, that he is even conceding that a Christian can be a Christian, they can be saved, they can be on their way to heaven, use those terms, but be useless for the ministry, useless for what God has for them. Mm-hmm. And so we can see that a lot, and I think that's what's happening here. I do. I, I totally agree with you. And it's interesting even to look in the larger context of the discourse, where one of the big areas of fruit-bearing is, um, is the fact that believers, that these believers would show love to each other. And if the world didn't see that, then they would be useless as far as their testimony, and they would not be able to win the loss, which I, I think a lot of the fruit in the passage is a reference to. Agreed. And this is where um, a book that I, I love to give out, love to talk to people about, Francis Schaeffer's The Mark of the Christian. Oh, I've not read that. You haven't? Okay, I well, have there's not. a copy on my, my Nice, desk. I'll steal it. You can steal it. Um, and The Mark of the Christian, he it's a very small book where he says, this is what it means. This is how people know you're a Christian. Jesus himself says it. And to the point where if this isn't defining you, then there's two options. You may not be a Christian. You may just have to be one of these cultural, I grew up in the Christian home kind of Christian, or you are a, in this Jesus' words, you're a useless vine or useless yeah, branch Exactly. That, that needs to remember what it means. Because even Jesus says it here, of course. He says, verse. I'm going to go down to um, verse 10, where he says, if you, oh, I'm sorry, let me go back to verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, so he's got that, there, there's the idea of abiding. The words are abiding. Verse, then you get down to verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And then go all the way down to verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved right. you. So he just builds, builds, till so he tells you, boom, here it is. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Here's how you abide in me. Are you loving one another? Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you doing this for one another? Are you? And we can define what, what loving one another means, um, but real simple, it's, are you putting others first? Are you putting each other over yourself? Or is it you're living this, um, it's all about me, driven me, selfishness of me. And are you loving? 
And that's what Francis Schaeffer says in his in his book. He says that the love you have for other believers and for people of the world is an indicator of your faith in Christ. Uh, uh, since you're mentioning books, a book I would mention, as far as the whole discourse is concerned, one of the best treatments of it is by uh, Rodmacher and Derrickson. It's called The Disciple Maker. Mm. I would encourage everybody to buy that. But I'm glad you went past verse 6 because... You know, when we talk about abiding, that's something that can become so mystical with people. And they think abiding in Christ is having this, I don't know, this kind of um, contemplative, um, I, I don't even know how to say it. but you know, it, I think you said mystical would be perfect. Yeah, mystical, subjective thing. And so once you go the mystical, subjective route, it's very difficult to define terms. And then people are confused, what does it actually mean to abide? Am I abiding? But as you read in those verses, abiding is essentially obedience to what Christ has said. So when we are obedient, we are organically connected to him. And yes, we can draw strength and that kind of thing. But as far as our responsibility, it's simply to obey the commandments. And that's why, for example, in verse 6, he'll use, um, I believe, a third-class conditional statement, which I think assumes what the disciples will do, but doesn't guarantee it necessarily. And as you read, and I would encourage people to read through the entire discourse and look at how many times Jesus says, if you do this, then this will happen. Abiding is not automatic. Uh, Obedience, perseverance for a Christian is not automatic. It's something that we make a decision to do. It's always in the forefront of our lives daily. And, man, take note in the discourse. If you do these things, if you obey what I tell you, you're abiding in me. And as you said, one of the defining points Jesus makes about the commandment here is that loving, loving each other that's so important. So how do we lay, I mean, I think we've got our view on this, but again, we want to make this less about Oh, we're right, or everybody else is wrong, or whatever. How do we, how do we promote this? That's my next question. Is like how, how is it that we promote this in our congregations, in our classrooms? You as a teacher, myself as a teacher and an administrator. How do we play this out? How do we live this out? And I've, I'm asking the question, but I'm gonna give my, I'm gonna give the first answer. Please do. Um, I think it, it, key of it is: Are we loving the people? around us. So for example, here's an example. Um, I've been asked to be the upper school principal at our school next year. I've taken that position on. And one of the first things that that I'm seeing is that I now have a bigger flock, you can use that term, mm-hmm. where I was a campus pastor, but now my reach extends to faculty, staff, parents, and students. How am I loving them? Well, how am I putting them before me? Okay, so am I communicating with them? Am I taking the sacrifice of taking staying, staying longer to making sure they know information? Or am I giving them the things they need? Am I able to reach out to them? Is my door open? Do they know they have access to me? Because I heard somebody say at one time, you can say, hey, my door's always open. But is it? Yeah. Is it? Am, right. I, am I available? Am I visible? Do you see that I care? Do you see that I have compassion? Do you see that I want you to succeed in your classrooms, in both in the teaching of it and in the learning? Do, I, do you see that I want your child to succeed? That's an example I think that I can show that I'm loving 
that I'm, I'm putting their needs before myself. If I'm the guy that goes in and said, hey, it's 3.30, I'm done, see you tomorrow. Yeah. That, and that, you are not like that. I know that. Well, that, I can't, that can't be it. Um, I do have to put up boundaries. You know, so I might tell them, hey, if you email me on Friday, don't expect an email till Monday. You got to give me a Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even, hey, I might email you, but if you email me past five, you won't get a response because I'm family. But if I'm making myself available within these prescribed and I think reasonable hours, and that I'm, I'm letting you know that I'm, I'm handling the issues or I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying, I think that goes a long way with letting people know you care and that you're loving them. Yeah, I, I would mention two things, one general, one more specific. Generally, I think we need to understand that the Christian life is something in which we are very active. Mm-hmm. A lot of Christians have this idea that once they're saved, hey, I'm a new creature now in Christ, and they just kind of sit back and yep. put it in neutral. But as this discourse illustrates, we have to be active and Jesus is telling his disciples what they need to do, and if they don't do certain things, they're not going to have a fruitful life. They're just not going to do it. So I think that's the main thing. We, we have responsibility in living the Christian life. And then more specifically on the, on the loving aspect, just something I've, I remind myself all the time of and, and um, have learned through life is just to cut people some slack, mm. uh, we don't know their backgrounds. We don't know how they've been treated. We don't know how much progress they've made. Somebody that, some, you know, we could look at a, at a fellow believer and think, man, this guy is really rough around the edges. You know, he's not really mature and refined yet. I don't know where he started. Right. He could have made a ton more progress than I have. And the other thing we don't realize, I think, or take into account, like when people fail or make mistakes, we don't understand the nature of their struggle. Sometimes, and I'm convinced of this, having lived and seen a lot of lot of different kinds of people, sometimes the Christian who fails the most, and I said sometimes, sometimes the Christian who fails the most is actually the more mature Christian because we don't know the strength perhaps of, of the spiritual battles they are facing. And um, they may fail, but, man, they're facing obstacles I don't face, and they're gritting it out. And, um, you know, so I just just say that, you know, we just start, we need to cut people some slack and um, just be patient, and with ourselves, too, because we know we all need it. Yeah, and ultimately what we see, and even in the same passage, verse 8, this is how God is glorified. When we bear fruit, yes. If we are if we are doing our job, if, if our job, if we follow what the catechism says, our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We need to be bearing fruit, and that fruit is showing, reflecting Christ and our love for one another, and that's how God is glorified the most. Not exactly. in, not in what our resume looks like. Not in all the things. No matter how many mission trips you went on, no matter how many positions you've held, God is glorified. And are you loving people? with a Christ-like love every day. And that's why, and many people have pointed this out, that someday in the kingdom, there are going to be people highly exalted by Christ we've never heard of, who have never done anything that we value so much, um, but they have consistently carried out these kinds of things in the discourse. That's what, that's what God values. 
I agree. And, and that's something we have to, and I think you and I have both done this. We always have to remind, because we both taught in school level, ministry level mm-hmm. students, where you can get so caught up in the content, so caught up in the fact that you can read the Greek New Testament, right. so, and what you can do all these things, you know all the culture, but we almost, like what the Apostle Paul says, even though I can read the Greek New Testament, even though I can parse every verb, even though I know all the background cultural, but I don't have love, Yeah, I'm nothing. Yeah, and the, and the most brilliant, accomplished biblical scholars will quite possibly have a very low position in the kingdom. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that question, listener. We appreciate all questions. If you have one, you can send it to our email address, and that's bobbleguyspodcast at gmail.com. You could also send your questions through our social media accounts. We have Twitter and Instagram, and both are the username at bobbleguyspod. Uh, we always release new content, or I should say we try to release new content every Friday at 8 a.m. so that your commute is a whole lot more fun. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platforms, such as Spotify or iTunes, and so you can be updated on new content when it's released. For Jerry Hollinger, I'm Rick Kleiner. We'll see you next time.